for a long time, there was this real clean break. If you looked at, I mean, I'm sure you've done this, right? You, you download all the bacterial genomes available. Yeah, right? yeah daily. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, it's awesome at parties, as you might imagine. <laughs> I usually lead with it. Yeah. <laughs> This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. All right, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today. You might be surprised to see us in your feed today, being that it's Christmas, but uh, you know what? It's also a Tuesday, and if it's Tuesday, A New Angle is dropping. We're keeping the streak alive here, folks, so hope you're... Uh, Hope you're ready for a good episode. Today, I speak with John McCutcheon. John is a cellular biologist here at the University of Montana who is doing groundbreaking work. I mean, his work and the work of his colleagues, the stuff they are working on is the stuff of understanding the basic building blocks of life. And we use the term singularity in our conversation today. I mean, that's a big term. Singularities don't happen all that often. That's sort of the definition in a way of them. And it's really fun to, to try to bring John down to earth just enough so that a mere mortal like me can, uh, can hang on in the conversation. I appreciate his time. I appreciate the work he's doing. And the fact that he's doing it here at the University of Montana is just tremendous. So without any further ado, I'll turn you over to John McCutcheon. All right. So we're here today with John McCutcheon. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I feel like you might be the first real scientist we've had I, on the pod. I, from my listening experience, I think that's correct. Yeah, you're a veteran listener. I hope I'm not the last. <laughs> yeah, I, hope, I am a veteran listener. I like it a lot. Yeah, thank you. First, hopefully the first of many real scientists. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. How's that drum coffee? It's delicious. <laughs> it is. It's really good. What was that device called? It was a clever dripper. They the clever dripper. They set us up with that machine because I think it's designed uh, for low maintenance and designed such that I won't screw it up. So You did uh, not screw it up. I tried Thank my you. best. It's, it's, this is going to go well. It's delicious. Yeah, nice. Uh, okay, so, John, you are a biologist. You study microbial... Micro, I can't even pronounce these complicated multisyllabic <laughs> words. Microbial genomics and yeah. symbiosis, right? Yeah, that's, that's about it. I don't even know what those things are. Right. So let's start there. So... Um, I can tell you, do you want me to tell you what we do or why we do it? Oh man. I want, I want to hear both. Okay. Um, cause let's I, still I f- talk about what, and then, and yeah, I kind of want to hear like yeah, what okay. led you into that work. Cause it, that. It, maybe that's better because if I tell you what, you might ask yourself why. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so we, we mostly study bacteria, which are invisible creatures. They're all over the place. Um, but we study bacteria that only live in insect cells, basically. We study other things, but that's kind of the the fundamental thing most of the people in the lab study. So okay. bacteria that only live in insect cells. Uh, the, the insects we work on are, are sap-feeding insects. Sap. Sap. Like so out plant of trees. sap. Yep, yep, out of trees. Either the stuff that comes up from the ground or the stuff that's uh, made sugary in the leaves and then transported to the rest of the tree. So these are insects that have piercing, sucking mouth parts. So they okay. don't they don't chew. They just poke a hole into the tree and suck one of those two saps, xylem sap or phloem sap. And that's all they eat. 
And that's, that's equivalent to raising a child on Sprite. Sure. Yeah. You, can't, you can't do it. I mean, yeah. you can, but uh, they will die. Some people try. It yeah, some people try. Well. But if it was only Sprite, the, the kid wouldn't live. No. And the reason that the kid wouldn't live is because there's no, there's sugar, right? So you can run a cell for a while. You can run an organism on just sugar, but you, you, don't, you can't build things. There's no nutrients. There's no protein. So what these bacteria do, these bacteria live in special cells in these insects, and they basically build the components of the, so half of the amino acids, which are the building blocks of yep. most things, half of the amino acids the insect can't make, and it doesn't get in its diet because it's not there. And these bacteria do that. So they, prov- they provide about half the amino acids for the insect. So they're required. So is that, is that the symbiosis? That's right? the like symbiosis. The two, two organisms acting in tandem or some, what's, what's the fundamental definition of symbiosis? Yeah, symbiosis, um, it just means two things living together okay. in the original definition. So yeah, yeah. It, it, has, it has no vote on to whether that relationship is good or bad. Mm. Um, but prolonged living together is basically what it is. And this is, um, this is a symbiosis. Yeah, so the, the, the insect cannot survive without the bacteria. And the bacteria can no longer live anywhere else. And so were you interested in the bugs or the bacteria? Like, what was the pathway to... Because you started framing this in terms of the bacteria yeah. that you study, but are you... Yeah, that's, that's why I... I mean, so when I was getting my PhD, I uh, was near a lab that was doing this kind of this stuff. You, you might... You hear about it in the news. It's sort of the, the gut microbiome. Yes. The, the bacteria that live in our guts. Uh-huh. Right? And that... That was there was a really good lab next door to me, and this is at WashU. This is at Washington, St. Louis. Yeah, in St. Louis, and and I thought that was neat. I thought that was cool. That wasn't my background. I was doing something else, but um, I thought it was cool, but just too complicated for me. Uh, you could kind of tell even in early days it was going to be super super complicated, which is great. You know, I mean, complicated things are good, but um, it wasn't what I was interested. In. I was interested in a system sort of like that, okay. a simpler thing with fewer components, fewer bacteria, basically, right? So, because the stu- yeah, the guts like it's just a it's just a just a mess. it's a complicated, really, really complicated mess, and it's still to this day. You know, we're still trying to figure out just the basics of. I mean, we know the basics of what it does, but the details are sure pretty difficult to figure. Although out. there's a lot of evangelists that kind of have there it, are have it all figured out. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting off no, no. Topic most there. of those people are most of those people are wrong. Um, <laughs> But the, the insects are, so I, I thought that was cool but complicated, and the insects seemed neat because there was uh, my postdoc advisor. Uh, she was publishing a pap- couple of papers on this new system she was working on where there's, there was one insect and two bacteria living in these cells. So I thought three is better than thousands, right? I can wrap my head around that. Sure. Maybe we'll learn something about how bacteria communicate with each other and communicate with hosts, right? So it's sort of in that spirit of the gut microbiome stuff, but... I thought simpler. Well, uh, but when you're just when you're framing this as simpler, you're you're not implying easier. You're implying like I can actually ask scientific questions and, and go about a process well, of answering them, perhaps. I mean, I think I I mean actually simpler. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, uh, easier. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just doable. Doable. Yeah. yeah. I thought we could do stuff and figure things out. Yeah. Uh, in in a in a way that. And it turns out to be almost, I mean, it's, it turns out to be quite different than the gut, right? The gut, those gut bacteria, that, the things that are living in your gut right now in my gut, they're, they're extracellular, right? They're, they're in the, they're actually, you know, in your gut. They're not Floating in the cells. Around. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. Okay. So, so I didn't realize that at the time, <laughs> but it makes a huge difference. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, so back to the bugs mm-hmm. and the bacteria. So, yeah, you're interested in this notion of symbiosis from the beginning. Right, right. And you're, you're learning that bugs and bacteria might be the way to, the best place to study Yeah, it. I thought it was a cool system. Yeah. So we started doing things. We started doing things there. And, and, it's, and it's turned into, a, it's turned into an, an interesting thing, but not in the direction I thought it would be interesting. Okay. So basically, we know, we know now that these, these bacteria have been living in these cells for a very long period of time, and that's kind of the important thing. So it's, you know, in some cases, hundreds of millions of years. So a really long time. Yeah. But probably as long as there have been vascular plants on 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 dry land, right? So a really long time. How do you tell that? Well, we know we know about when vascular plants arose, okay. and we know about when sap feeders arose, and we we know that from the fossil record. And then if you so if you if you look at the fossil record of these insects, you can see them going back to I think I think the date and the fossil record is two hundred and sixty million years, but it, it it almost has to be older than that. Sure. Uh, but anyway, so it goes back a long time. But are you and making it, an assumption that because it's a sap feeder, it must have a bacteria in, inside? That's it? right. But yeah. also that if you look at if you look at these insects today, and you take a, you know, depending on the group, if you take a, you can take a really diverse sampling, and in some cases they will all have the same bacteria. Okay. Right. So there there are some that have persisted for that long. Yeah. Others have been replaced. Others have been supplemented. But there are some that have existed for that long. So it helps strengthen that argument. Other than it just has to be there. It's like, well, it actually fits with all the other data. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm sort of my my. my <laughs> this is already of, uh, we're done. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like how novice a novice yeah, yeah, yeah. my understanding of science is that I just bounce around with random questions that a 12 year old would probably come up with. That's, that's fine. That's, that's kind of half the fun. Those I are suppose. good questions. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so you're starting to do stuff. What do you mean mm-hmm. by do stuff? Like, what does that even look like? Well, we like? didn't know. We what didn't, are your questions? Well, the, the questions were, I mean, the first thing is, what are they doing? And we had a pretty good idea. So they're, they're like I said before, we know now, it's very clear they're making these these important amino acids. Yeah. Uh, but the way they were doing it was a surprise. So the, the thing that, the thing that uh, we've really found out, not just me, but lots of people, but the thing that we really work on is the the genomes. So... If you look at these bacterial genomes, they're very unusual. They're very, very small. Um, in some cases, we work on things in the lab here that have 120 genes. And that, you know, so humans have about 22,000, 23,000 genes. Mm-hmm. A normal bacteria, like the bacteria in your gut, have four or 5,000 genes, something like that. 120 is not very many. Sure. And that's the interesting part. So that's the reason we're still working on it. Yeah, so why is that interesting? It's that interesting it- because you can't, 120 genes is not enough to to make an organism. Okay. Right? We can look at the genome and we can see what's we can see what's in the genome. That tells us what the bacterium does, what it can do, but it also because it's a complete parts list, it tells us what it's not able to do. Okay. And what it's not able to do is interesting because it can't, for example, these are single cells, right? So it can't build its own envelope. It has no machinery to make membranes or to define its own boundary okay that comes from the insect it has to got it so it's a it becomes sort of this weird thing where you have you have a genome which we know we can see it we can see the organism that 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 owns that genome but we know that the boundary of that organism organism is actually built by a different organism it's built by the host the bug the bug the insect (laughs) the insect sorry should be more precise that's all right it's all bugs yeah (laughs) uh so that, think, okay, yeah, so that, that seems, okay, so that's, that's weird. 
but um, th- it's not unprecedented. There's been two examples of this happening uh, in biology, and one of them is called the mitochondria. Yes, which you might be familiar with, right? It's like if you're, I've been told they're important. They're sort of all the rage in endurance sports these days. Yeah, cool. Right, you, you exactly. want more of them. You want more of them. Yeah, and because they are the, they're the engines. Yes, yeah, so they're the powerhouse. Of the there cell. you go. Right, exactly. That's what they're known for. So we rehearsed before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. You get an A. Uh, <laughs> no, they're yeah. So they, but but mitochondria are cool. They're, they're actually really similar to these bacteria from sap-feeding insects. They're basically captured, the really old captured bacteria. And so when you're talking about old, you're talking in evolutionary terms. I'm talking, I'm ta- yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so kind of unpack that for me. Because when you're talking about, you know, the, the bacteria and the fact that it's, it's limited in what it can do because it's a small, you know, small set of genes, mm-hmm. et cetera, you know, that's not necessarily an evolutionary dead end, right? How is that... Like depends who you ask. Oh, yeah. okay. That, so that's, that's a hot, hot that's, piece of debate. Maybe. I think I think that's for pod two. Pod two. Yeah. Okay. I don't, <laughs> next <laughs> level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, next level stuff. So, but basically, um, so when I say old in the mitochondria sense, so so before the mitochondria, bef- so the, before before life had before eukaryotes, which are the organisms that that you are, that I are, that trees are, okay, that, that fungi are, there was just two types. There were bacteria which is the thing I've mentioned before. And there's this other group called the archaea, which for a long time, people didn't know were not bacteria. They look like bacteria uh, in, the, in the microscope. Um, but about 2 billion years ago, give or take, no one actually knows, but that's 1.8 billion years ago, something like that, a bacteria became a permanent resident in an archaea. Okay. So one cell jumped inside the other. It stuck. That symbiosis became all the eukaryotes sure and that bacteria became the mitochondria so it's the reason that you have mitochondria and i have mitochondria in all of our cells essentially it's the reason that so that that mitochondria is passed down from mother to child in the egg and they've been passed that way for well not from mother to egg but they've been passed vertically since that event two billion years ago and so those so mitochondria are bacteria basically um, they're not called that anymore, but they are, and they have really small genomes. Um, so they still have genomes. They still have remnant bacterial genomes, and and the things that we work on sort of approach mitochondria and chloroplasts, which is the plant version. Really, it's it, they have mitochondria and chloroplasts. It's another captured bacteria that plants use to to actually capture sunlight. They have these are both captured bacteria. Uh, they have very small genomes, and the things that we work on, the genomes that we work on, look a lot like the genomes of mitochondria and okay. chloroplasts. So it's the interest. The reason it's interesting is because, you know, if you you're, you're studying, if you study the mitochondria and chloroplasts, I mean, it's cool. They're important, and, but they happened. They each happened once, and they happened a very long time ago. So inferring what happened, the process, the order of events is sort of really difficult, because there's only one example. Really, there's one example of mitochondria, and everything that on on Earth now shares that single event. Well, when you say single event, like. Are you sort of equating that to like a singularity in terms of... It, it was, yeah. But it, then it happened once, but it's mm-hmm. existing in every That's organism right. since. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So every time there's a speciation event, you may, you know, there's been lots of them since yes. <laughs> for 2 billion years, but every time that's happened, that, that new group has maintained its mitochondria. And so if you can trace that, you can trace that event back to a single one. Sure. So there's lots of different mitochondria, but they all can be traced back to a single event. Right. 
And, and so it is, a, it is a singularity. And so are you then, are, are biologists like you trying to understand what happened in that single event? Like yeah, I mean, what, we, what, 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 what factors drove it to happen? Yeah, yeah, we are. And, we, and so the, thing, the, 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 the kinds of things we work on now uh, are, are sort of ways of gaining insight into what might have happened a long time ago. Because right. the things we work on are only 200 million years old sure. instead of 2,000 million years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's better because you can kind of get a sense of what's <laughs> happening. It's uh, still a little bit hard. And the, of course, the situation is not exactly the same, right? Life today is not exactly the same as it was two billion years ago, but it's we... Ha- not at the exactly same as it was like yesterday. It, that's right. <laughs> but so it gives us some, it gives us a window into that. And it, it's, you know, and the systems we work on and the systems that other people work on, it, it, it's sort of bacteria living inside of animal cells, inside of other organism cells is really common. And we know that now. And so it's a, it's a spectrum of... Of, of work, right? That we, we, our, our work is one, one component of it, but there's lots of people that study these uh-huh. sorts of things. So it's, yeah. It. <laughs> I don't even know what to ask next. Yeah. We're <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess what, what I'm sort of drawn into the, the, the dynamics of these symbiotic relationships, but I'm also kind of drawn into like all the kind of like theoretical evolutionary pieces of this. Like you bring up a singularity in, in evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at one point in a previous conversation, you said that there, there might be evidence of another one emerging. Another mitochondria emerging? Or another, another. another event oh, well, emerging. I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, I, if you I, were sure. I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think saying that what we study is another mitochondrial event is way, way too far. Sure. Right? But, but it, I'm convinced that it gives us that it's close enough that we should work on it. Somebody, okay. somebody should work on it because there are a lot of similarities there. And the more we learn, the more we see. So the now more, we're getting to the, now we're getting we to the why, why the bugs yeah. and why the bacteria. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of telling you why, and, and yeah, and, and it's it's the similarity to mitochondria, right? Okay, that, you know, it, it's that was what surprised me and my postdoc advisor a long time ago. We started working on these things, you know, ask, asking different questions. And when we did the work, we did the, the genomes, we sequenced the genomes, we looked at them, and, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's funny. That's small. Yeah. That's weird. We've never seen anything like that before. Uh, somebody should figure out how these work. And so that's what I, now that's what I do as a profession. And how did you make the link to the mitochondria? I mean, it was sort of, it's, it's sort of impossible not to okay. if you're a if you're a bio- You've seen this pattern before, it's obvious. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, you know, for for a long time, there was this real clean break. If you looked at, I mean, I'm sure you've done this, right? You, you download all the bacterial genomes available. Yeah, yeah, yeah daily. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, it's awesome at parties, as you might imagine. <laughs> I usually lead with it. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, and it's funny. I've never met you at a party. I wonder why <laughs> no one invites me. Uh, yeah, but it, there was, for a long time, there was this, this gap, right? If you looked at all the bacteria, things you thought of as bacteria, there was this, and then, so they would have a range of sizes, and then there was this gap, and then the mitochondria would be down in the, in the lower part of that plot. So there was like, okay, that's what's a mitochondria. That's, what's a, that's what a bacteria looks like. And so me and others, and lot, lots of other people, it's not just me, but one of the things that I did was when I sequenced these genomes, you'd, you'd sort of make that plot, and you realize there was that, that sort of empirical limit was just because people hadn't looked hard enough. And now we've, so, so the things that we study span that gap that used to be a gap, and now it's not a gap at all, it's a continuum. And so we work across that continuum. We think about 
mitochondria, we think about bacteria, we sure. try to figure out how one becomes the other. I mean, do you think that makes me wonder, like, as, as you do your work, as your colleagues do their work, like, sure, you said that this, this singularity has only happened a, a couple of times. Like, will, do you think the path of science is such that we'll realize that it, it happens all the time? I think that's kind of what's happened. I mean, they're, they're not exactly like... Sure, they're not the mito- same Yeah, they're thing. not the same thing. And, and the mitochondria really are... I don't know if they're special. They're, they're, they're really kind of special because they, they happened, again, a long time a long ago. Time and ago. now they're in all these different organisms. So, you know, that makes them kind of unique. But that general process of a bacteria being captured by a host, um, being used for some process, uh, and being required by the host is, is really common. And that's something that the field has sort of come to realize over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, something like that. And when you say that, you know, with mitochondria happening once, 1.8 or 2 billion years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. and then, in, you know, the business with the bacteria happening 200 million years ago, have those systems evolved in the years since? Oh, yeah. And how so? Like, what, what, how are they changing? Well, the, you know, the, basically, I mean, some, some mitochondria... If you look at animal mitochondria, for example, so you look at your dog's mitochondria and your mitochondria or my mitochondria, they're really similar. So animal mitochondria are pretty boring. They actually haven't changed much. Sure. They've converged. They've, they're stable. Um, if you look at the mitochondria of plants or fungi or some other organisms, they're just insane, really, really weird. And and that's been that's been sort so you know when mitochondria were first discovered, they. You know, they, they looked at mito- animals because that's what people studied, and they said, oh, yeah, those are all the same. Mitochondria are just the same. They're an old captured bacteria, and they've just converged on this stable structure. And then people, again, started looking at more diversity and found this really wild. I mean, you just I – could, I could explain it to you, but it would be too technical, but they're just bizarre. Yeah, okay. They're just weird. And that's sort of been the, the pattern in my field, too. When we first started looking at these, we, we compared distantly related – insects and saw the same bacteria that had the same structure, same genome structure. And we thought, oh yeah, it's like mitochondria, you know, it converges on this stable thing. And then we started looking a little more broadly and you see this insane, just insane uh, diversity in how these things work. They're always doing the same thing, but the structures they give rise to are really wildly different. Uh, But they're always doing the same thing. Well, as I'm thinking about that, is is that like a sign that Evolution is happening. Absolutely, the, the yeah. messy so work of instability is. It is. It yeah. is. You know, so when you think of, you think of evolution, and you think of it in the right way, right? You think of organisms getting fitter in their environment. Sure. And that's that's probably the most important process, right? Natural selection works. Uh-huh. Otherwise, you know, this conversation wouldn't be happening. Lots of things wouldn't be happening, and we'd we'd all die. I mean, we all die anyway. But we we live a long time. Actually, sure. it's pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, so, so natural selection works is really important, but there are other forces in evolution. And one of them is just random chance. It has a different name, but it's basically just stuff happens. What is the other name for random chance? It's a fancy Genetic sense. drift. Genetic drift. I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's nice. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. I'm Larry Summers, Harvard President Emeritus and former Treasury Secretary. You're listening to A New Angle. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> random chance. I mean, we, we yeah, sort of, we keep that over here in the business school and yeah. economics, you know, the random walk. And exactly, yeah. It's, it's, you know, there is a... Statistics, I guess, like, yeah, they probably 
they probably own the claim of random chance. Yeah, that's right. That's the same. It's yeah. you understand it, right? It's it's selecting things from a you know if you if you have a if you have a big population where you can select the fittest things and mm-hmm. natural selection works pretty well. If you have a small population, then natural selection doesn't work as well. Right. And and we think that a lot of the complexities we see, both in sort of mitochondria going haywire in these bacterial symbionts that I work on going haywire, I think what links them is sort of a, a disconnect in natural selection or a, or a dampening, a temporary, sometimes temporary dampening of natural selection. So the, basically the host absolutely relies on these bacteria. The host absolutely relies on its mitochondria. If you lose your mitochondria, you are dead, right? Mm-hmm. Almost instantly. If these, if these insects lose their bacteria, they're dead. And they've had it for a long time, right? 200 million years. And so if you, you're relying on it. Yep. Um, but if, you're, if your bacteria starts misbehaving, you can normally keep it in check, right? And that explains the stability that I've explained. You know, in animals, there's tons of stability. The animal is doing a good job of keeping its mitochondria in check. But in some circumstances, it loses that ability. Uh-huh. And so the, the mitochondria can kind of express itself. Right, it's still an independent organism, even though it lives in your cell. So it can still do its own thing. Normally it's kept in check, but if it's not, even temporarily, things can get weird. But the host is absolutely reliant on that thing. So even if, if you're reliant on a thing that's getting weird and you can't get a new one, yeah, that's you're stuck. Yeah. So you either have to deal with it or you're dead. And, and I think that that's sort of one kind of high-level yeah, intellectual process, link. Right? Uh, to the to, to the two fields, yeah. It, it's a it's a it's hard to prove directly, but um, it, it's sort of a a unified hypothesis that that you know we can go on and, and sort of test things in in different ways. But that's sort of a, a link to the two 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 processes. And your work is right at the center of this. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is. <laughs> You got to have somebody else on to make sure, but I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it seems so. I mean, your work is is published in, in regularly in Science and regularly covered by the Atlantic. I wanted to ask you about this. This guy over at the Atlantic, Ed Young, mm-hmm. he seems to be a big fan of your work. Yeah, you got like a bat phone to the Atlantic. No, I mean, it, you know, Ed and I, uh, Ed Young, yeah, Atlantic writer, now an Atlantic writer. He's really uh, one of one of the top sort of handful of science writers. Sure. Uh, working now, and I, uh, he, yeah, so we sort of, I don't know if we came up together, but we, I was a starting professor here at Montana, and Ed, um, I'm not sure exactly when he got started, but when we, when he first started covering my work, um, he wasn't at the Atlantic, I think he was at National Geographic, he was, okay. a blog, he was a blogger at National Geographic, and he'd always been interested in symbiosis, he'd always been interested in this sort of microbial animal thing, and I don't know, he just, I mean, he, you know, it's one of those things, he happened to cover an early paper of ours, and um, I've seen him at meetings since. I mean, I wouldn't call him a friend. He, you know, he's, it's a professional thing, but uh, I, I know him. So yeah, but I, he, I mean, he's a great ally in your work. And it's that, been great. Yeah, yeah. He, and he's he's such a gifted writer. I think he's you know he's been able to take this complicated stuff. You know, hello, single listener. Uh, so you've made <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we're but, down. But, we're down to one. But or every, two left. yeah, you can see it. Um, yeah. So um, so that the people who have already cut out, they could read Ed stuff. And get a sense of what we do. So I'm really, I think he does an important service because he's, you know, my field has been, has benefited a lot from Ed Young covering it. Not just my work, but my field. Sure. He wrote a book actually that I think, it was a New York, New York Times bestseller. It's, okay. called, it's called I Contain Multitudes. 
and it's a it's a really neat book and it's sort of about it's sort of about all this it's about the gut microbiome it's about the bacteria it's about the bacteria in the animal world what they do the hidden role they play how mm-hmm. important it is and uh that's been that's been super cool yeah so uh you know it, it was just dumb luck he, he just got interested in an early paper and we you know he 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 knows who i am i guess now so if we publish something he he sometimes looks at it. Well, and it speaks to, and, and this sort of maybe is the bridge we need to get to kind of your <laughs> your broader work here at the university mm-hmm. and beyond. You, know, you are very, you know, you're under the microscope in many ways, but your work generalizes in, in, in that the, the story of your work and its implications, not necessarily for everyday life, but kind of everyday understanding of the world we live in is powerful and important. And so to be able to do the actual you know, knowledge creation that you do, but also be part of the knowledge translation that Ed and, and, and yeah. his colleagues are part of, that's got to be particularly fulfilling. It's really fun. I mean, I, you know, I, I, mean, I do, this is my job. Yeah. Uh, this, I've spent my life working on this stuff, broadly speaking. And I think it's important. If I didn't, I wouldn't do it. But, uh, but I do think it's hard to communicate that importance uh, in general because this stuff, as, you, as you're your listener now knows is pretty uh <laughs> is pretty complicated well you hear me bumbling around trying to articulate an intelligent question and no, no, i don't no, even I know. know what string to pull here right 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 i i, I need to help more uh but uh, you know i think it's important i think it's fun you know i i think people often don't realize the role that basic research plays in the sort of yeah dis- not in the discovery phase of science because that's obvious that's our job is to discover things but in in the more practical aspect of things, you know, a lot of practical inventions were started from curiosity-driven work. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, it, you know, in molecular biology, I would say the vast majority of things that we use now for medicine, for, for engineering or you know, biological engineering, are, were started from basic work. And well, so I, I just think it's cool to have people like Ed Young and, and David Quammen actually over in Bozeman wrote a book about the other side of my field. I'm mm-hmm. not in the book, but, it, but, 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 you know, sort of about my field. And it's just, it's, I feel like we're really lucky to have these great communicators trying to explain to people why this is interesting and important. Well, and, and the other side of it too, is that so often, you know, the, not the type of work that you do necessarily, but that class of really specific work yeah, it's just, it becomes a punchline in political debates. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. you know, some candidate will trot it out as like, oh, X million dollars for a grant to study bacteria in the bellies of bugs, or you know what I mean? And it just becomes this punchline to yeah, exactly. a joke that totally misses the point. It's a, I mean, I, I admit it's a difficult point. I yeah. admit, I admit if you have a sick kid or a sick parent, it's not obvious why someone should be studying bacteria in the, you know, in the bellies of insects. But, but I would just say that, um, I mean, oftentimes I'm, I'm teaching those students who become doctors, so I, yeah. hope, I hope I'm doing a good job. And the other thing is that, we, the, way that the way that science works is nonlinear, right? So we just don't know where this stuff is going to come from. Mm-hmm. We, you know, for, even just in my little field, we didn't know there were bacteria out there living in animals that, had any, that, that really resembled mitochondria in any way. You know, and mitochondria, are, like you're saying, they're fundamentally important to human performance. They're fundamentally important to, to animal biology. Right. And so we, we're trying to not study them, but study that process from a different angle. And so, yeah, I, I feel like it's part of my job to communicate it. It's, I mean, it's why I'm here. It's why I, I go out and do these things. It's why I sure. interview with Ed, and it's why 
that's why I, I try to make some effort to do that. So let's actually, this is something you and I have talked about before, like the basic notion of what our jobs are. Yeah. And we're both, you know, faculty members here. I think we're both associate professors at we this are. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people don't even know what that, people don't know what that means. I mean, the question I typically get is, so, you know, are you, you're done for the summer, you're not teaching. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, when do you start teaching again? Or what are you teaching this semester? And that, that's, I get that. Like, that's very easy for for people outside of the academy to understand you know, yes, teaching is a big part of our job. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. It varies across units here on mm-hmm. campus. And I just wanted to maybe talk, shift and talk t- to you a little bit about, because um, your work takes you into the field, it takes you mm-hmm. into the lab, it takes you, um, you're certainly in the cl- cl- classroom some, but I was prob- this morning. Yeah, and, but probably less than other colleagues on campus. In some departments, yeah. We, you know, in biology, uh, I actually, yeah, this is something that, I don't talk about it at parties too much, but, but <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, the, the teaching load, so to speak, the, the amount we teach in biology is, is probably lower than, than most departments. And the reason, so there's a reason for that. Um, we do teach a lot. We teach a lot of service classes. You know, we teach a lot of, you know, freshman, sophomore yeah, biology. Yeah, freshman bio. Wildlife takes that, you know, biologists take, that neuroscience takes, all this stuff. Um, but, but yeah, so the other part of my job is the teaching is, you know, that's what I was originally hired to do, but also to do research. And so, so that, I think that part's misunderstood. In the summer, I do not put my feet up. Um, it, it tends to be a very busy time, and it's, it's where I do, where I really make sure the lab is still running. So I, you know, I kind of, most biologists run a, a small business, yeah. I, I think is the best way to describe it. Absolutely. Right? Explain that, like the yeah. different grant sources right. and managing all this, and you have your own staff and students. Right. And- so right now, you know, just for, just for my lab, for example, we have three major grants. We have one from NASA, one from the National Science Foundation, and one from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, which is a private foundation that's interested in conservation and basic science sure. research. Um, each of those has requires a lot of management. So I hire people from those grants. I hire graduate students, undergraduate students, postdocs, uh, scientists in the lab. And I have so I have to manage budgets. I have to manage staff. I have to I have to manage people, which is not something yeah, they don't ask they my. Don't. You should have my lab in here next. You can tell him, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. I try, but yeah. I, I'm just not. You know, it's not. I was not trained to do that. I should take some business courses. Actually, I've I've thought about that before, <laughs> but it's not <laughs> something I've done. So yeah, we you know we have money coming in, we have money going out. We have to we have to balance the budget, obviously, and we have to communicate our our science. Yes. Which, so we have to write papers. So I write papers. I write grants. I manage. I mean, my lab has varied in size. It's four people now. It's it's usually between four and eight. And when you say four people, just describe the portfolio of people. Well, right now, there. it's a, right now the portfolio is a little bit unusual historically for me. It's two postdoctoral fellows, so people that have their PhD, one sort of senior scientist, uh, and one postbac, so one person who has is in between graduate school and undergrad. Okay. Um, usually, I have a. I was on sabbatical last year, so uh, you know things kind of thinned out a little bit. But uh, usually, I have more undergraduates and more graduate students. I have zero at the moment, but I, I hope to change that soon. Um, so it's a little bit weird, but I usually it's a mix of undergraduates, it's a mix of graduate students, postdocs, and then other kinds of you know just senior scientists, people that are just there to they don't they don't have any sort of academic duties per se. They just they just work in the lab. I pay them to sure, work and the you lab. pay them out of your grant funding. That's right. Yeah, and so. You know, back to the teaching piece, do you, you know, so certain, certain units have a practice where if you get some grant funding or some other source of funding, you can 
basically pay somebody to teach a course right. in your place. Does mm-hmm. that kind of activity go on in, in you biology? Know, it, honestly, it doesn't so much here. Okay. Um, you know, this is a it's a it's a cool biology department in the sense that I it, people my colleagues are committed to both. Yeah. I mean, we also have another, right? So there's teaching, service, and research. Mm-hmm. And the service thing, that means someone has to run the university or help run the university. And that's, yeah, that's, committees, right, faculty committees. senate, so forth. Exactly. So, but the other parts, the teaching and the research, um, people generally don't buy out or, you know, buy out of teaching, right? So pay an adjunct to do the teaching. In general, in, in biology, it's mostly us. It's mostly the faculty mm-hmm. teaching the classes. And I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of money to buy out, but I don't. I mean, my, 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 the amount I teach, I think is, it's appropriate for a research intensive department and, and I like doing it and I think it's important. Uh, so I do it. And I think most of my, I know most of my colleagues are in the same boat. Sure. So we, you know, our teaching load is kind of, it, it's set with the expectation we do, we are grant funded and most people are. And so it, it doesn't actually change that much. Do you, have to, do you have to pay some of your own salary with your grant money? I pay my summer salary. Okay. So that's, I mean, so I'm, I'm paid, you know, three months of the summer, I, I'm paid through NSF, NASA, and the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. So each, each one of those, right now at least, pays one, one month of my salary. So I have a 12-month salary, but nine of them come from the university. Right. Three of them come from funding. And if I don't, if I don't have funding, then I don't have that money. And this has been, I mean, I think in the time, because you got here before I did. When did you get here? Like uh, 10? July 10, 2010. Yeah. Just in that, in that range of time, like the research enterprise has been one of the, one of the standouts as far as its performance. Yeah. Um, just record-setting amounts of grant funding yeah, it's year been over year. And you've been a big part of that. I've been a small part of it. Well, it's certainly a, a strong contributor to that. What sorts of what's obviously you're being set up to succeed in some ways. Yeah. What are some of those ways that you feel like you're empowered to do good work here? The, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think we've done a very good job over the, since I've been here for the last, you know, so what is that? Eight years. Yeah. Um, we've hired really good people. You know, you start to, you start to build a critical mass and you start to, you know, in, in my field, evolution and genomics. I, I feel like Montana is, I mean, it's actually, it's on the map. People want to come here. Um, and that's people at all levels, it's students and it's faculty. And so, you know, the last, the last person we hired into, into that group, into this sort of subgroup that we have, I wouldn't say it was easy, um, but, but he knew who we were and, you know, he just showed him around and he could see who was there and he's like, yeah, I'm coming. Yeah. This is and, the place. And this is the place. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we've spent, it hasn't been easy. We, you know, we've, there's been a lot of people involved in building this, but, but the biology department is, is really strong. I mean, I think it, it, it could compete, uh, at, at a lot of different places. Well, and it does. It does. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I write a grant, they don't get special treatment, right? So, you know, they don't care really where you are. Well, and you're collaborating with the top scholars at the top schools. All, I mean, you were telling me your, your, your sabbatical, you were down collaborating with the folks down at Cal Poly. Caltech. Caltech, yeah. Caltech sorry. Yeah. yeah, Caltech. That's all. I mean, they're, they're pretty close to each other, I guess. Are they? Oh, down the road. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. LA is huge. Yeah. Yeah, Cal, yeah we have, I have a lot of, most of my collaborators are at Caltech. And, and that's, that's really fun. So, you know, me and my lab go down there a few times a year usually. And they have, they have 
I mean, you know, they have really expensive microscopes, basically. It's one of these places that <laughs> that just has... How much is a really expensive microscope? About $10 million. Okay, yeah, that yeah. is really expensive. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to... That's a little bit hard to build. That takes, you know... They, like, the Caltech endowment is $2.5 billion yeah, or something, yeah, right? So, exactly. Yeah. That's a lot of grants. Right, right. It's a lot of grants. <laughs> you know, and so it's just kind of just getting right to it. I mean, you've chosen to do your life's work here, raise your family here, and... You've kind of carved out this, you know, carved out, contributed to the building of a world-class unit within this university. You know, how do you kind of reconcile the need to go down to Caltech and play with their $10 million mm-hmm. microscope to mm-hmm. do the work you need to do? Or, you know, what, how do you kind of conceptualize that? Well, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are here. Maybe you're one of them. Uh, I mean, Missoula is a, a fantastic place to live. Yeah. It's a fantastic place to raise kids. Uh, the university is full of special people, um, it, people that, that are self-selecting to be here. And I, I think I'm, I'm not that different from that. You know, that's a pretty, that would sum me up pretty well. I'm, I've self-selected to be here. Um, it helps to have fantastic colleagues. It helps to have great, ambitious, bright students. Um, and I, and I have that. So I, it's it's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to up and leave <laughs> when you have a situation like that. You have great colleagues. You, I've I've felt supported um, so far here mm-hmm. at, at at the university, and uh, the the administration's been good to me. My colleagues are are great, supportive. They let me. They 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 hired me doing this weird stuff, and it wasn't obvious when I got hired. You know, they, I think they took a risk. Yeah, it seems to have paid off. I, I hope so. You'll have to ask them, but I, I, th- I hope so. It has. And, and so, but you know, they took a risk and I, and they let me do some weird stuff and yeah. And it's, so it's been, it's been really fun. I think that flexibility, not feeling pressure to work on any certain kind of problem is, is awesome. Yeah. When you say weird stuff, I mean, I don't, I don't know if at this point in the conversation we want to go back no, in the we weeds of, of, <laughs> of the work, but when you say weird stuff, I mean, we, we kind of, I mean, I guess there's some there's some similarities conceptually to kind of what we do in the business school mm-hmm. here. Like, uh, you know, I had this project that I worked on for years and years and years about American Indian sports mascots, and mm-hmm. people were like, "Well, why why are you studying that? It seems like you're you're an activist, or you know, you're you're this or you're that." And I was like, "These things are brands, and they affect the way people think, not only about the brands they represent, but the people mm-hmm. represented in the caricatures." I had a other, another colleague that was super interested in, in the dynamics of thoroughbred horse markets, <laughs> right? But, but here, there was never this sort of, hey, you need to stay in your lane mm. and study you know, how to sell widgets and widgets mm. alone. Um, I think there's something special about that. Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, I, I don't know what it reflects. I, I think it's probably a bit of this sort of the can-do attitude that, yeah. that most Montanans have, which I, which I really value. Um, I think it's a, the small, it's a small enough institution that it's a, you know, you, you hire a, a person doing a thing, but you ultimately, you ultimately, you hire a person Yeah. and you, if you believe in their quality, you sort of trust their judgment and let them do that. I mean, ideally that's what being a professor should be. Um, but I think there that's, that's in the water here. Yeah. So I, I, I've never felt it's been cool. You know, I've never felt pressure to do anything or to. I've taken, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I've taken big risks, but we've, you know, we're, we've changed directions numbers of times and, and no one has batted an eye. Right, right. You get to do the work you want to do. Yeah. 
It's fun. Well, I think that's where the, the learning happens, right? You got to have that sort of time and space to, to meander a little bit with your work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and with my teaching, that's some, something that I, I, I like doing. I like, ex, I don't know if experimenting is the right word, but um, I don't love the sort of lecture, 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 test, lecture, 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 test. Uh, I know that yeah. students don't love yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they do either. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and so, you know, we've, we're trying to, we're trying to innovate there too. And that, yeah. that's actually really fun because you, you can see it. It's a little bit more tangible than a, you know, you, you publish a paper, you put it out into the ether mm-hmm. and then you don't really know people cite it or they don't. But, but, you know, when you're, when you're in front of students, you better, you better be ready. And, you know, if it's a little bit different, it better be good. Well, and you want to make them care yeah, about sure. the, the, the subject matter and make them get excited about it and, and you know, either use it in whatever they're doing, go on to be a physician, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an important social compact. I believe in universities. Yeah, what, what there can you I say? Go. Now, now we're just sort of shilling <laughs> yeah. for yeah. the university. <laughs> I do. They're, they're great. They're great. It's good to be a professor. It That's is. A cool, it's a cool at. job. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I don't know if people realize it, but I mean, you know, there's, you hear some negative things about it every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's been a tough few years for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. But it's still a really cool job. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a job that it's one of these things that you're, you know, you're sort of privileged to do it. I agree. I agree. I tell my friends that I have the worst job in the world, but it's better than any of the other ones out there. <laughs> you know, that's about right. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably a good place to land the ship, John. Yeah, you think uh, so? Maybe. All right, let's do it. But I would like to have you back for pod two, and, and maybe you can give me like the stack of papers I need to study to ask uh, more I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If if, if someone can email me, me, you, me or you right now and tell me that they're still listening, let's just call it more than, more than a dozen people can email me or you and tell, tell us that they're still listening, we can come back and do it again. Well, how do they find your email? Uh, my name's John McCutcheon. Use, yeah. the, use the Google. Use the Google. Yeah. We got to work on your colleagues' branding too. Like it's the McCutcheon Lab and the this think, that and lab. Although your colleague Jeffrey Good, like he's got a a, a good he, brand name for a lab. He does a good lab. Yeah, yeah it's pretty solid. You know, that's but we, he kind of fell into it. it. He did. He was born with the name. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to give him credit on that one. Well, you know, I sort of utilize that gift sometimes yeah. here at a new. No, Apple. I've seen it. Yeah, I can see the. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's uh, land the ship, John. Right. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks, Justin. All right, super fun conversation with John. Check out those articles covering his work in The Atlantic by Ed Young. Uh, They give you a good sense for what he's up to. It's really earth-shattering stuff. Okay, next week, Hank Donovan, local entrepreneur, musician, doer of all things over at Rattlesnake Cables, a friend of the podcast and official cable provider of the podcast. We talk about Hank's business, his music, his entrepreneurial spirit, and how he makes it happen here in Missoula with creativity and hustle. Look forward to that conversation next week, New Year's Day, another Tuesday. Remember that a new angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. By now, you've been listening long enough to know that these guys are big and that they sell pretty much everything electrical you would ever need. But you might not know that they hire a ton of University of Montana students. If you want to learn more about careers at CED, visit cedcareers.com. It's a great website name. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Kamzar, Elizabeth Willie, interns, Aspen Runkle, Mason Dow, and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO for the tunes, and finally props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Before we go, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. 
Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag, a new angle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.